I met someone who's working on the reconstruction of the spire of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Oh my God. And I pulled out a book that is 1522. It has no title page. It's completely soiled. And it was a carpenter's guide. Someone probably had it on a roof in France. And and I showed him the book and we found the same words of, for parts of the framing, which are very unusual, that he had on his computer screen. Wow. Welcome to Talk Shop. I'm Ariel Oaken, a New York-based interior designer, writer, and editor looking to bring a little bit of magic into our homes every day. After years as a writer and editor in the interiors world, I founded my own editorial site, Fedemore Lane, in 2020, and the Talk Shop interview series was born. Each week, I delve into the personal experiences of the top interior designers and tastemakers around the globe. This week, I am joined by Peter Penoyer, an illustrious classical architect and author with over 35 years of experience in residential, institutional, and commercial architecture. Known for deftly fusing history and creative invention into timeless contemporary designs, Peter, who was born and raised in New York City, received his undergraduate and master's degrees in architecture from Columbia College. After graduating, Peter formed Peter Penoyer Architects in 1990. Since then, the Manhattan-based firm has become an award-winning and highly recognized leader in new construction, renovation, and historic conservation for residential, commercial, and institutional commissions across the United States and abroad. In the past decade, PPA has expanded from a practice specializing primarily in single-family residential projects to a firm with diverse commissions around the globe, including museum exhibitions, theaters, high-rise buildings, historic preservation projects, and even the monumental clock at the heart of the new Moynihan Train Hall in Manhattan. The firm has also expanded artistically, adding interior design to their offerings, resulting in a dynamic creative process and expansive projects that represent the best of modern classical architecture. Along with working on over 200 projects, Peter is also an accomplished author, publishing five books with his co-author, Anne Walker. Their newest collaboration, Peter Penoyer Architects City Country, is available now. Please join me as I welcome Peter to the podcast. Welcome, Peter, to the podcast. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. To kick off the conversation, could you describe your style in three words or less? I'd say my style is appropriate. It's a terrible <laughs> word. It sounds like so that. boring. It sounds <laughs> like, yes. No, it's uh, three words. What is appropriate? That's it. I think that makes a lot of sense, though, when you think about it from an architectural lens, because you're thinking about sense of place and what fits there. Right. So it's not just classical. I mean, it could be other things. I don't do glass boxes, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who may not know, who is Peter? What gets you inspired about what you do? Walk us through your sort of day to day at the moment. Right. So I, you know, I think of myself first as a New Yorker <laughs> and I'm, I'm lucky that my wife, Katie, and I live here and that our Three children have chosen to live here too. So I'm I'm deeply embedded in New York. I grew up here. And to me, the way architecture fits into a city is almost more important than, you know, architecture that stands out by itself. So, you know, there there's streets which I feel are architecturally more compelling than some individual buildings. I like the sense of place. I like the sense of community and history that you see in cities. And I think because I love the diversity that you find on streetscapes, I also feel that it's important to bring that into your own work as an architect. I love that. I actually, 
I moved out to Westchester, but during pre-COVID, I lived in the city and I lived very close to the Benson. So I watched that go up. And I used to walk by it and think, my God, what a beautiful building. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about PPA? How big is the firm now? What types of projects do you typically work on lately? Yeah, so we're 45 people now. And you know, most of our projects are with other interior designers, but we have a couple of things going on in, in that department. So really, we have such a diversity of projects. And now we're doing a complex of cabins off the grid in the wilderness in Montana. Like Oh my God. How are they how are they powering it? That's well so that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> solar panel. It's gonna be solar. It's gonna be completely off the grid. You can get there sometimes by like a snowmobile or, you know, sometimes it has to be a helicopter. Oh my God, that's fascinating. When I went there I had to for the first visit, my client told me to bring ski poles. <laughs> You know, and I hate traveling with checked baggage, so my daughter found me collapsible ski poles on oh Amazon. Oh my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> and what a thing to bring with you. I know. Then he handed me <laughs> snowshoes and a, and a big can with a trigger of bear repellent. So that, oh my God. So that's on one hand. On the other hand, we're doing we're f- finishing up a house in Palm Beach, which is my, no bear spray required. Okay. Um, <laughs> The other kinds of spray. Yes, exactly. And then we're doing one in Dallas. We're having a lot of fun. A neighborhood where a lot of the old homes are getting torn down. We're actually restoring this wonderful Hollywood Regency mansion. Oh, that's amazing. The neighbors are excited too because, you know, people, if you live on a street and you're used to seeing a great old house, it's it's sad when it gets torn down. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, you lose so much history about a neighborhood yeah. also when you lose beautiful homes like that. I mean, yeah, but we're not, I mean, I'm not averse to making new architecture, but when it's, when a neighborhood has an identity, I think it's really important to be respectful of that. Totally. Yeah. So we're doing that and we have some other houses on the boards. We designed a new building for the Upper East Side, an apartment house. It, we're, we're contemplating another book on the architect Charles Platt. Uh, He's been written about in various ways, but deserves a more fully illustrated book. And then we have also a book on uh, that I'm uh, working with David Netto and Paul Goldberger on Rosario Candela, who designed the most fabulous apartment houses in New York. Yes. Oh, that'll be a fantastic book. And and we've also started doing some design consulting where our role isn't as you know extensive. When it's I went to Manila actually in in June and help this family wow. figure out how to work with their local architects on a new house there. That's fun. You're kind of all over the globe. I know. And, you know, and we still do smaller projects, especially for, you know, repeat clients. They'll come back and say, and, you know, now I'm ready to do this fabulous, you know, basement. So we're, right. we're, we're, we're literally working on a basement that's going to have with Katie Ritter, my wife's office is the um, interior designer and it's going to have a bar with bar relief and bamboo walls and you know, that'll like, be amazing he's is so talented yeah it's, it's so much fun we're, we're having so much fun with it i can't wait to see i feel like you guys do such a great job working together mixing classical and katie's amazing use of color is just such a great combination yeah yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And her, you know, Katie and I mean, there are other designers we love to work with really. An- I mean, it animates our work. It's the color and the pattern and the the furniture. And, you know, I've always preferred, you know, that contrast between the furnishings, the art and the interiors. I think it's really 
I think it's a good thing. So can you walk us through your career so far? Were you always interested in architecture and design? Like what, what drew you to the field? So, no, I was one of those annoying people who kind of knew what they wanted to do from early days. So, and my father was, for a while, he was chair of this citizens sort of government group called the, it was called the Art Commission for its first hundred years until Bloomberg decided it should be called the Design Review Commission. But it was the Art Commission <laughs> then. And he would bring home plans of buildings they were proposing to put on public land. So they got to vote on everything that was getting built. Oh, wow. And so I got a little bit of a window into seeing these presentation drawings. And that was really, that that really excited my imagination. That's so fascinating. I mean, there's a through line there with, you know, now working on like the train hall and, you know, so many buildings that have affected the streetscape and the landscape of the city. It's very interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. And then he was also involved in the Metropolitan Museum when they were, before you were born, when they were building all their <laughs> wings. <laughs> they were building, they were on a massive building campaign. And so I used to go and walk around the construction site when they were like, you know, wow. building the Temple of Dendur wing. So oh I, yeah, so I had a lot of exposure, even though my father was a lawyer, my, you know, was to, to architects, architecture and, and art. And that's where it started. And then I, when I went to Columbia College, I was interested in, I'd say, the historical side of things, began looking at preservation. But then I met Bob Stern, studied with him as an undergraduate, and went to work for him and discovered architecture through his process of breaking out of modernism, which was what was happening then. People were interested in being more inclusive about design and stepping away from you know, the pure white box. And so that was a very interesting time to be in a, a small office. Yeah. I mean, also what a time to to have him as your professor, to go work for him. I mean, that's an incredible first start. No, he's been a great friend and mentor my whole life. And he's, you know, he reads what I write. He gives me criticism still. It's, it's, it, <laughs> that's amazing. It's, a, it's, it's like, I think it's a bit like the benefit of having your toughest professor sort of whispering in your back, in your ear as you go <laughs> on in life saying, that's not good enough. Everyone should have that. I think it's like the best form of a mentor. Yeah, it's a little bit of uh, respect and fear mixed. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. And then I had a friend in, in architecture school who was landing very interesting projects and so and asked me to help him and so our, i'd left bob's office because i was trying to concentrate on my schoolwork. and then two weeks later this friend named peter moore showed up and he said Should we, uh, would you be interested in being my partner isabella rossellini's hired me to do her loft oh my god that was crazy right that was our first project it wasn't everything it was supposed to be and i think isabella parted ways <laughs> with us <laughs> at some point yeah so but still, it gave you the you may you might not have felt at that period of time that you were ready to do it. Had something like that not come your way, and it kind of propelled you. No, I think we were getting ahead of ourselves. And yeah. I mean, I could drop her name, but I won't say that she fired us. But she did anyway. So that's funny. <laughs> we had then then we had successful work for interesting people and a variety of styles like the fashion designer Zoran, right? We did a totally minimalist loft that had no walls, no doors, no anything. It was just a pure white wonderland. Wow. The shower didn't even have walls. It was just a grid in the floor with oh my pipe God. coming out of the ceiling. It was wild. And we moved into the Mark Hotel 
and restored it sort of three floors at a time. Oh my God. Uh, it's so great. Working in a, having a hotel. I mean, it's just, it's great. How old were you when you were, when this was happening? I was in my uh, late twenties and then we, we, no, oh we, no, but St. Ambrose <laughs> wouldn't sell anything over 24 hours. So they would send cakes up to us weekly. Oh my God. I mean, this is like every Upper East Sider's dream late 20s experience. It was really fun. But and just working hard and learning and, you know, having patient clients. Yeah, that's also important. Speaking of, can you speak to why you choose to take on a new project? Every studio needs work. So there's <laughs> that. Um, so, yes, the, the first question is, can I bring value? This sounds trite, but can I bring, can I do something wonderful, you know, for this client? Like, right. are, are we the right people? The way yeah. we build, the way we think, and the way we build is very robust. So it's not in and itself expensive, but it's more of an investment than if you're just doing a house for five years. We do work for people that want to keep the house yeah. and feel that as so so that's the first question like is you know is what they're can i give them what they're looking for because if i can't at all then it's a long relationship yeah it's very much about fit it's you know years and also we do this very unromantic thing which is listing all the rooms people want we make a list like an excel mm -hmm. and then we put sizes of rooms not that you actually design to that size but it gives people an idea it's really helpful if someone says, yes, I want my, I'd be happy with a living room that's 16 by 24 or 40 feet or whatever it is. And then that leads us to a size of the house, or especially when it's a house, uh, which leads to a budget. And you do all that before you draw anything. Because yeah. I, you, ages ago, I learned that, that it's really dangerous just to go off and draw, draw, draw. And then if people came for you know a 5,000 square foot house and you go, oh, it's 8,000, that's, that, Hard, that's harder really to go backwards. Yeah, yeah. So we love to, we love to be very cautious at the beginning. Yeah. We do, we build out like our FF&E mock budgets before we send a contract just so that we're all on the same page. And, and it's also good, I think, for designers to have to design to something like not make the house much bigger if that's the, right. you know, it's, it, it can be challenging. But we like to work with people who are having fun, and we like to be work with people who are involved. Yeah, it's nice because then it becomes like a long term relationship, and then yeah. that person comes back a couple years later, and they're building a second home or a third home. And yeah, yeah. What are some unique challenges you found when working on historical homes? Well, the, I say the biggest challenge is that in historic preservation, the accepted approach to me is to design in a way that's contrasting with the old part of the building or the or the entire building so the the standard approach and not not in places like nantucket or in, in many towns but the standard approach that you're taught in architecture school is to design a modern addition to an old house or if you're interesting yeah if you're going to design something new you're absolutely not supposed to speak in that language and mm -hmm. make something that might be confused with something old and and we absolutely reject that approach because yeah. we believe that you know all of design history belongs to all anyone who designs should be able to free to express themselves in whatever language they want absolutely and that that has been i mean sometimes a challenge especially if you're looking for tax credits because the federal rules really don't approve of you know uh, do, making things in the language of the the old style that's so interesting and so counterintuitive because you would want, I, I mean, I think it, it should 100% feel like it all flows together. That's very interesting. 
and and if you do if you're really successful you get no credit because people coming into the house won't know what came first or what came later right that's the best that's when you know you've done the best job because no one will notice <laughs> and by the way i don't believe in like going to like i'm perfectly i enjoy making more much more sort of modernistic feeling bathrooms and kitchens like some not every room has to be look like it was you know hatched in 1922 or right something. right <laughs> The other thing is, when, is, so we're working on a, a mid-19th century captain's house in Long Island that looks over a harbor. Oh, beautiful. Um, and all the old parts had been fallen off and been replaced by ill-considered, you know, stock parts from Home Depot. So mm -hmm. it needed to be completely designed from many parts of it from scratch based on what we know about architecture from that period, including a lot of books we have in details and drawings. What happens when you take that on is it really makes you realize how brilliant people were then and how they could so easily draw and build things that were beautiful and how much less educated we all are now. So it's it's very humbling. It's you know, you start you're curious and you want to curiosity drives a lot of this. You really want to learn about what those great moldings looked like, those collection moldings. And then you you know, try to make it yourself and you go, okay, now this is, this is a humbling experience. <laughs> I know we talk about that in the office a lot because we can't hand, like some of the girls on our team are really excellent hand drawers. I can't. And it's something that I wish that I could do. And I think, you know, years ago, that was kind of the only way, like there were no computers, there was no AutoCAD, there was nothing. And so I feel very inadequate when I attempt to hand draw something. <laughs> yeah, and and it's hard. I mean, they had so much, they had so much training in a certain style, and we're just, you know, we're all in a rush now. So, but it's it's a wonderful exercise, and it keeps you learning. And we all feel like we're learning in this office. There's still two people here who come to work every day and just draw, which sounds like obvious, but there are a lot of firms where they don't do much hand drawing at all anymore. That's amazing. But we still, we have a program called Revit. So we do 3D modeling of our new projects. Yeah. And we have VR. Some clients want to be able to put on the headset and actually be in the, you know, be in the space. That's the coolest thing. We just did like a virtual show house and they did like a 3D video of our room. And I was so freaked out by it because it's so real. I mean, it really looks like you're watching a video of a room. It's wild. It's uncanny. And I mean, the thing is, you have to find the furniture. You either have to build it digitally or you buy it in the digital marketplace, which a client had a hard time understanding. So we designed a library, but it looked really sad because there were no books on the shelves. And then someone <laughs> in the office told me, we have to buy virtual books. <laughs> it's a strange world we live in now. <laughs> what is a project that you're currently proud of and a project that you're the most proud of in your career? Well, I'm I'm very proud of the captain's house, which is the interior designer is Thomas Jane, a design that brings back an old building to a better place than it was originally. In other words, we're taking what we knew would have been built, had they been able to add the cupola and the porch and all these elements that were never quite there. So that's a really exciting place, and it will be a place that artists and writers will be able to borrow, you know, be stay there and and do their work. Oh, that's amazing. That's really interesting. You know, honestly, some of the projects that I'm most proud of are the small, small, I mean, the you know, we're proud of the Benson, that apartment house. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. But, you know, I still, you know, I still remember this. We did a store on Pimlico Road in London, you know, like one of my first projects. And I just, 
I, I sometimes it's a smaller thing that you just love. Yeah. And, and it was it was a showroom for fabrics, document prints, a lot of which were found in the Victorian Albert. They actually used all the fabrics in the Mark Hotel. That was sort of the connection. So, so I mean, I love I love all the different projects for different reasons. And, and but I'm you know I'm proud of the 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 Benson. We also did a building on 78th Street that is looks good and fits in that neighborhood and seems to make, make people happy. It makes me happy to see buildings going up that aren't very very tall glass rods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean there's the whole environmental thing which is really puzzling to me because the starting point for us is if we build something really well and make it solid that it won't get torn down. Yeah. Like someone's not we don't build tear-downs. Yeah. Like that's that's like a basic thing is not to have to throw anything out. And so when we put windows in houses, we put a copper pan that's hidden under the wood at the base of every window. Oh, interesting. That no, one, that no one ever sees, right? So, and it costs something. It's not inexpensive, but it means you will never, like that will never leak, it will, no matter what happens. That's amazing. And it probably insulates really well too. Yeah. So you've co-written five books, which I have all of them. Oh, wow. With your, <laughs> with your co-writer, Anne Walker, including your most recent City Country, can you tell me a little bit about your newest book? Um, yes, yeah, so City Country is 19 projects that we've worked on. The, the new book shows really the kind of the range of our work and also all the wonderful designers we've worked with. It, you know, there's a project with David Kleinberg that we love. There's a project with Katie Ritter, my wife. There, you know, there are just a whole variety of range of collaborations. And Alexia Lucian, who's just a brilliant designer. We designed her house in Maine. And that's actually on the cover. It's such a beautiful cover with that sort of like peachy. It's so pretty. So when we designed that breakfast room, it's a new house. They wanted to make sure that the light would come into that room at the last weekend they spend there. I guess it must have been like Columbus Day, you know, October or something. And so the office, I didn't realize we could do this, was actually able to do a geolocated sun study that showed, yes, you know, yes, the sun comes in there. Wow. I mean, that really, I think, is like that detail right there just distills how in the weeds you guys get in making something that lasts and something that is so personal to a client that they're, you know, that's not a home that they're going to want to ever sell because it's just them kind of encapsulated in a physical structure. Is there a favorite element about what you do? I think it has to be that I'm with friends in my office and the... The chief designer here is my partner, Gregory Gilmartin, who I met in college. And here we are. He's sitting in the next room today <laughs> for me. And then so working with him, and he's just a brilliant uh, historian and, and designer. And to, so I'd say it's, it's the process of collaboration in an office and those friendships and, and growing with people, grow, growing together. And it's even true of designers we work with. We all sort of learn from each other. I, I think that makes it more interesting than a field where things are one off and you do a deal and you move on to the next. It, yeah. There's a continuity um, that's really interesting. I mean, that's also just a testament to how you run the firm. I think there's so many firms where, you know, people are in and out and, you know, I think placing such a, a large emphasis on maintaining those relationships is is really integral to how I think the whole operation works. 
And there are people who do things that are things that I could not do. I mean, there was an architect here for quite a long time. He moved back to Russia, but who could draw freehand the most complicated, intricate, beautiful, you know, curved volute on a stair railing. Just, <laughs> you know, that like I, I, I will never be able to do that. So it's really fun to have that kind of talent and and try to you know so that we don't have one style of drawing here we if someone comes in and they have some interesting way of presenting you know more power to them we prefer not to impose a kind of corporate template on people yeah i mean it's an amazing way to run a firm is there a design rule and i put rule in quotes that you always follow and is there one that you think is made to be broken Globally, I think it's important, especially when you start out, not to try to achieve everything in one design. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, we're we all want to be ambitious about our designs, but not to show off everything you know and every idea you had, you know, in one house. <laughs> I think it's better to have reasonable goals and do them absolutely impeccably than you know to throw everything in the kitchen sink. And yeah. So, and and that's just from. You know, the first projects I did, probably maybe that's what happened with Isabella Rossellini. Anyway, tried to put everything in. <laughs> tried to put everything in. That's so funny. And then um, don't ever get lulled into the idea that you're a genius. <laughs> or, yes. You know, because none of us are, and and it, it takes the pressure off. And then once you realize that there aren't any design, well, there may be a few, that then you kind of have enough humility <laughs> to look around and be able to learn. I think that's really important. I think that's amazing life advice just in general that everybody <laughs> needs to hear. Well, I, I do know one or two geniuses, but, <laughs> I, but then, they're, then they're the other friends I have who think they are. <laughs> so. funny. I think both pieces of advice also go back to that first word of describing your style, which is appropriate. I think it makes sense. Yeah, that's well. It's not. It's not a very sexy <laughs> appellation, but it's. It's. But it it's, tracks for architecture. <laughs> it. It could. It could outlast the other. The alternative, which is inappropriate. <laughs> yes, and those and and those are the houses that never get knocked down. Yeah. Do you collect anything? I feel like everybody in this industry is kind of a magpie for something. I, I have a feeling books might be. <laughs> I mean, I, I love etchings and prints, especially of New York, you know, in the first half of the 20th century, specifically, you know, in the 30s. You know, there were architects who didn't have a lot of work and they began observing the city and making these exquisite drawings and prints. I think those are really interesting. I collect those. I'm interested in the photography from that same period that just document the shapes of the buildings. And I collect architectural drawing sets like compasses and drawing pens and all those that come in beautiful boxes fitted with velvet that everyone in the field used to use and now no one does. So (laughs) I find those and also science demonstration instruments, which are, you know, things that were made to show you know, like how how a sine wave works. We had this crazy contraption out front, which is a bunch of metal rods with little balls, and you turn a crank, and they all float up and down, and oh they make God. a sine wave. That's so cool. Yeah, I love the idea of these things that show people physically what we now can only learn on on a screen. Yeah, that's fascinating. How did you start collecting stuff like that? That's so like where where would one even find something like that? Well, yeah, they're hard to find. There are very few sales. Uh, there used to be a few dealers, fewer now. 
and then books I, you know, I buy old architecture books. Yeah. Which astonishingly are still affordable, even the, you know, even a 17th century treatise. I'm looking right now at it. I pull this out because I met someone who's working on the reconstruction of the spire of Notre Dame Cathedral. Oh my God. In Paris. Wow. And I pulled out a book that is 1522. It has no, it has no title page. It's completely soiled. It, it's like moldy. And it was a carpenter's guide. And so it was used wow. by carpenters. It literally, someone probably had it on a roof in France. And, and I showed him the book and we found the same words of, for parts of the framing, which are very unusual, that he had on his computer screen. Wow. You know, and we have a book that was the same book that Thomas Jefferson bought when he was in Paris and brought back and copied, copied moldings for Monticello that was published in 1684. That's incredible. And then we have brand new books. My favorite new one is uh, Swedish Grace, that wonderful classical design. Sweden, it's everything. It's architecture and furniture and everything. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to get that one. Again, it's not on Amazon. So to go hunting for it. I've found a couple random sellers on Etsy. Like one is called Cape Fear Books. Oh, that's a dear friend of mine. Really? Yeah, Bill Irvin. Oh, oh my God. That's where I get yeah, all of yeah. my old interior design books. Yeah, he was a copy editor at House Beautiful for like 20 years. So that makes so much more sense because yeah. I was like, this edit is incredible. I mean, it's amazing the books that he has. That's so funny. I know you have a huge library or office. I saw an interview you did where you showed it's like almost floor to ceiling, right? Of all the books that you guys have. Yes, it's it's all over every room. That's incredible. When everything was locked down during COVID, the landlord thought it was peculiar that we were not only here, but we were taking delivery of more bookcases. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else was one doing during COVID other than I reading? I know, like the streets <laughs> were empty and they were bringing in more bookcases. Well, now we're going to do, we've been doing some rapid fire questions and it's just to learn a little bit more about you on the personal side. What is your favorite city? New York. That makes sense. Yeah, New York. <laughs> favorite hotel? My favorite hotel, oh gosh, the Edham in Stockholm. I have always wanted to go there. That is on my list for when my kids are not toddlers and I can travel oh. again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the limbo of like, I have a four-year-old and a 17-month-old, uh, so I'm not going anywhere exciting anytime oh soon. <laughs> but I have a big list of places, and that's very high at the top. Favorite film? Oh, uh, Rules of the Game by Jean Renoir. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, you're in for a treat. Yeah. It's divine. Okay. I feel like we get so much inspiration from old movies, too. The sets and... Yeah. The way that everything's filmed. Favorite food? Wow. I'm just an omnivore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an omnivore. Well, so it's just because it's kind of getting cold out. I love uh, lamb stew from mm. the Julia Child cookbook. It's called Navarin. And it takes hours. And, you know, I love it. I love it more when someone else makes it. Yeah. After three hours with it, I'm not that. But that, that has to be my one of my favorites. I know. When I make beef stew, it takes me a good six hours because I just like leave it on all day. And it's so worth it at the end, but it's like I almost have to emotionally prepare the night before, before I do it. Right. <laughs> favorite drink? Oh, gosh. I mean, I love a good glass of Bordeaux wine. I feel like also very appropriate. It tracks with I don't know. the theme. Last question. Favorite design book? Oh, dear. I know that's probably an impossible question to ask you. 
Well, I'm just so fickle. I'm going to name the one that I like now, which is Swedish Grace. (laughs) I love that. To prepare you, the spoiler is that the only English words in the whole book are Swedish Grace. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of it's in Swedish. (laughs) But it probably has some really beautiful photography. Uh, No, yes, and drawings. And the Swedes use those English words to describe that style. So it's actually not a translation of a Swedish. Yes, isn't that bizarre? Yeah, that is really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a final few words before we wrap up. What are you working on right now? Are there any new projects that you can tell us about? Oh, yeah. Well, the problem is the ones we really love to talk about, (laughs) people don't want us to talk about. But So we made a proposal to do a conservatory-like entertainment pavilion at one observatory circle, which is where the vice president lives. So I don't think it's going to get built. I don't think it's going to, but it was fun to do that proposal. That was fun. And what an amazing experience. I mean, that's that's incredible. They need it because they keep having to rent party tents, which is (laughs) really wasteful. Finally, do you have any advice for someone looking to define their own interior style? Yes, I just keep your eyes open and, you know, look at pictures. But if it's interiors, I also think it's very important to connect with the people who make things, the artisans, the furniture workshops. I don't think you know anything about a sofa unless you've been and seen them making the frame and doing all the work that goes into it. Absolutely. That's so true. Yeah, I I think we're lucky to be in a place where there are still people making, you know, club chairs and sofas and and where you know what a paley is and a loss and you learn all that. I think it's so important to learn. And then I and and, and you'll see things that will speak to you and then you'll discover your style and it's not gonna be in an abstract way from looking at pictures. It's you know, the, the tactile experience. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I I feel lucky to be designing in New York because there's just so many incredible artisans and people who have been, you know, doing something super niche like decorative painting, but they've been doing it right. exceptionally well for 60 years or 40 years. And, I, you know, I can learn so much from them. Finally, where can listeners find more about you and your firm? So our website, ppapc.com, our Instagram at Peter Penoyer Architects, the new book. Yes, the new book out now. And I should have mentioned on the favorite project, we're uh, renovating Guild Hall in East Hampton. That's, the, that's <gasps> the, in a way the biggest one. That's amazing. Yeah, so the galleries opened, that, that part of the building uh, opened in the summer. I remember reading about that. Yeah, we're now working on the theater, which is really exciting. It's, it's going to be different. It's going to be different, but the same. It will have the tented ceiling. It will have many of the historical elements that people love, um, but it will yeah. be a much better experience for the for the performers and the audience. What an incredible project yeah. and what a historic project. I mean, that, that building has been around for so long and so many people have made so many memories in there. Well, Peter, thank you so very much for joining us. This was such a delight and I feel like I learned so much talking to you. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Sure. Well, thank you. It's, it's fun. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Talk Shop. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more thoughtful discussions and amazing guests. Make sure you follow on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And of course, follow me at Ariel Oaken. See you next week.